from Galatians 3, 28. So Strong Tower, let's be strong in the vision that God has given us. As a matter of fact, this past week, I got to go see a young man that we've been praying for, uh, Brother Micah, as you can see there. Uh, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, he has his final proton treatment to remove the tumor, the second brain tumor that has been found in his head. Uh, he will have been in Jacksonville with his mother, Teresa, for six weeks and so he's coming to an end, and he's doing well. He is strong in the Lord. And so we're going to keep praying for them. And when I went in to see them on Tuesday, uh, Micah had a request. And someone had blessed him with $25 to spend on himself. And he's a unique 10-year-old. He's an old soul. And he said that he told his mother, I don't want to buy anything for myself but I want to go feed the homeless because whenever he would ride in from their hotel into the treatment facility every day, going and coming, he would see a homeless community in the park. So when someone gave him the money, immediately he thought about, I want to go and feed them. So his assignment for me was as soon as I got off that plane, pastor, we're going to go feed the homeless. So we went and uh, went to Crystal's. And his mother put in some money, and we got $30 worth of Crystal's hamburgers. And we went, and we took them to the people in the park. And when we walked in, I got everyone's attention, and I said, hey, I want you all to meet Micah. Micah has been a part of your community now for almost six weeks, and he's been getting treatment for a brain tumor just down the street. And he wanted to come and bless you all. And I ask you to pray for him. Uh, that he may be healed because many of God's people are amongst the homeless. Um, they're not all lost. Many of them are found. Uh, they just had a tough go at life. And many of them know the Lord. And, and, and it was like a mini revival broke out in that park as they walked up to him, hugged him, of course, took those hamburgers and ate them. <laughs> but it was a great time. And I thought about how a little child <laughs> shall lead them and how you don't have to be a pope or a pastor to care about hurting people. You can just be someone with an open and willing heart to serve Jesus and serve his people. And so I'm so proud of him and that family. Um, Lord willing, they'll be coming home sometime this week. Uh, his, his family has gone up to be with him because when he finishes the final treatment tomorrow, he's going to ring a bell in the facility. And uh, his mother, Tracy, says she wants her son, son to swing from that rope and not just ring that bell. Um, it's a proton treatment, which means that it's going to take effect in time. It's concentrated treatment that's been going on to eradicate this tumor, and we won't know its effects until time. So it's kind of like going out to the sun being exposed to the rays and then wake up the next day and realize you have a suntan, that, uh, you know, that the, uh, you've been sunburned, that the sun had a, an effect on you the next day. And the way this treatment is designed is that it's designed because it's so concentrated that in time that thing is going to be removed.
So we're going to keep praying and standing with the family. But he is a strong young man. Then I want to welcome back the Nashville for Haiti team that was away for about 10 days. Do we have any of them in the house today? If you're in the house, would you stand? You just came back from Haiti? Any of the Haiti folks? But we had about eight to 10 people from Strong Tower go and serve in Haiti with um, uh, Live Beyond and uh, serving at a hospital, serving the sick, serving the children, teaching them music and arts. And so Tony, I mean, Linda Bailey and B. Wright and Danny, so many great people from our church, Heather went and served God's children there. And then uh, as far as Be Strong, our huddle groups, we had our draft on Wednesday, and you brought out a whole lot of food, as you can see, and folks were lining up to get that food, and the fellowship hall was full of you all, and then we started with the draft for the small groups that we're doing beginning this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. So you see the Strong Tower Bible Church bears right there. And then you've got the Rams. They don't have home training. And then there go the Ravens right there. There go the Saints, the Strong Tower Saints. And then you have the Colts right there. And then the Lions, the Strong Tower Lions. And then finally, last but not least, the Strong Tower Eagles are in the house, baby. And then we also had our children's coaches who will be working with our children. Amen. So what we're doing on Wednesdays at 6 o'clock, we're sharing a meal. Some of the meals will be catered. Some of them will be meals that you've prepared, that you bring. And then after we share a meal, we'll come in here and share some soul food. We'll get just a little bit of uh, teaching from me uh, during that time. And then we'll dismiss the groups and they'll go throughout the campus, uh, children, students, and adults, to get into huddle groups. And the huddle groups is where we keep it real. And the huddle is where we find rest, encouragement, accountability, and leadership. And so it's a great time for the body to connect outside of Sunday. And even as Brother Brian said, for the uh, college and career age, for people to get to know you and for you to get to know them, to bear one another's burdens. Because on Sunday morning, we do a great deal of study in our classes. But on Wednesdays, that is designed for us to know one another's stories. So we're going to be sharing life on Wednesday. And the, the, the groups are pretty much at their capacity. Because if they get any larger, we'll lose some intimacy. Uh, but we still need help with children. Um, that can be your huddle group to teach the children. Um, we also need help with the students as well. Uh, and the kitchen committee, we have a kitchen committee comprised of about ooh, 15 people who are going to help with that, cleaning up, uh, setting up, ordering the food. Uh, we may even have some people make some food or something. I don't know. But it's all coming together, and I'm thankful for what the Lord has done. So Strong Tower, we got to be strong. And finally, before I preach, um, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but I want to thank God for my wife because she has had to be strong. And uh, the Bible talks about having a virtuous woman. And I want to honor you 
since I have this microphone in my hand. Um, when I went out of town on Tuesday um, to serve Jesus, um, to minister to the Ralston family, um, the enemy was trying to take out my wife. Um, she's the safest driver in our family. And on Tuesday, while I'm serving away, she hydroplaned around a normal curve because um, it had been raining a lot, but she drives this way all the time. But she hydroplaned and hit a fence. And when she hit the fence, the posts went through the right uh, headlight and up under the hood. And when the police officers got there, they said to my wife that she was lucky because they've seen the pole go through, the fence go through the windshield. And so um, my wife's SUV was totaled, but she was not. She's a little sore. She walked away. And so I thank you for being strong. And then on Friday, uh, we got a call in the evening from my son. And usually when something's wrong, he wants to talk to his mother. <clears throat> he doesn't always like talk to me because I'm usually going to challenge him, lecture him, you know, stuff like that. But he needed to be, I guess, uh, encouraged by mom. And he told Darina that he was also in a car accident on Friday and his car was totaled, both bags deployed. And, uh, and he's fine. He walked away. So bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Hey. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. So thank you, God. Thank you. And I got a strong wife. Got on the phone with the insurance companies and all that stuff. So we praise the Lord. Amen. Does anybody else know that he's a keeper? Amen. 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 You can be strong because he's strong. And if you have testimonies and things that you think would be appropriate, let us know. Either we'll have you share the testimony, we'll share it for you, with you, but just some testimonies about God's strength being made perfect in your weakness. Um, so praise God. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. Mm -hmm. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So today, let me talk on the subject of be strong and accept your assignment. Be strong and accept your assignment. When I was a younger Christian, I would be in places where they would take prayer requests and people would go around and they would share their prayer requests when I was in college, mainly. And you would always have somebody that would have an unspoken prayer request. So somebody would say, hey, pray for my grandmother. Hey, pray for me. I'm struggling in class. Someone would say, I'm not feeling well. Pray for me. And then someone would say, I have an unspoken prayer request. Now, I never really understood what you're to do with an unspoken prayer request, but they would nevertheless always say that. And in these prayer meetings, I got convicted because I felt the Lord saying to me, it's really hypocritical for you to ask for other people to pray for you when you don't even pray for yourself, yet alone someone else. Because I was using those prayer meetings to get my petitions known and to get my petitions brought before the Lord. And that's great. And that has its place. But I am a priest of God as well, and I don't need you or anyone else to go to God on my behalf. I can take advantage of that precious gift that God has given me, whereby I can go to the Father in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So it's not good to keep asking other people to pray for you, and your marriage, and your problems, and your finances, and your health, and you don't even take the time to pray for yourself. And when you look at the final days of Jesus on the earth, it seems that everybody was praying except for Peter and the disciples. Even Satan was praying for Peter. I'm going somewhere. Jesus prayed for Peter. Now, Pastor, I understand that Jesus prayed for Peter because a couple of weeks ago, the preacher talked about that from Luke's gospel. But in that same gospel, it tells us that Satan prayed. Pastor, what are you talking about? Because in Luke's gospel, Jesus said to Peter that Satan has asked for you. Because Satan can't take a believer. He can only operate within the parameters that God allows. And he must do everything by and with God's permission. He can't do anything in and of himself and on his own. Because everything must be filtered through God's fingers of divine grace and power. So Satan had to ask for Peter, which meant that he 
prayed to God for Peter. Because when we ask God for something, we're praying to God. And Jesus gave Satan what he prayed for. Okay, I'm going to give him to you that you may sift him. And then that's when Jesus said, but Simon, I've also prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So Satan is praying for Peter. Jesus is praying for Peter, but Peter isn't praying for Peter. Because Jesus had invited the 12 to the garden. And even before he invited them to the garden, which was the place that he normally went to pray, there was a time where Peter could have prayed in the upper room. And rather than praying, he was boasting in the upper room. When Jesus said, you're going to deny that you know me tonight three times before the rooster crows, it was Peter who should have been praying. It was Peter who was boasting and being in his flesh who said, no, Lord, I'll never deny you. Though everybody else fall away, I'll never fall away. Now, you would think he would have learned his lesson in terms of trying to go against Jesus because there have been several episodes along the way during those three years where he was wrong, flat out wrong. But when you're in your flesh and you're in your pride and you're boasting, you even think that you know more than God and that you can go against what God says. So rather than humbling himself when he hears that word and falling on his face to pray, he keeps on boasting. No, I'll never fall away. I'm ready to die for you. So then when they go out into the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus takes the inner circle of Peter, James, and John to go and pray. So he leaves the other guys over and they go a little further and Jesus falls on his face and he begins to pray to the father because it was time to taste and drink the cup of death, paying for the sins of the world. And in his humanity, he was struggling with the assignment. And he even said, Lord, if there's a way that we can save these sinners without me drinking this cup because it's not the physical suffering that caused Christ to shrink as far as the nails and the beating and the scourging. That, that wasn't the thing. It was being temporarily and momentarily separated from fellowship with his father as he bore our sins on his body whereby he would say, God, why have you forsaken or turned your back on me? That is what caused Jesus to struggle in the garden with his assignment. But the father said, no, 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 you must drink this cup. And so Jesus adjusted. He got out of his human feelings and he went back to what the divine purpose and plan that God had for his life and for the world. And he said, okay, Lord, I will drink this cup. Not my will, but your will be done. And as he's praying to the father, getting strength to fulfill his assignment, he comes back and he finds his men. Not praying, not watching, but Hey, hey, wake up, wake up. Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Comes back. <sighs> Three stooges always slept like that. Three times it happened. And had he been praying, getting strength from God, the way Jesus got strength from God for his assignment, Peter might not have jumped up in the flesh and cut somebody's ear off. You see, when we don't pray for ourselves, we are more prone and susceptible to act in the flesh. 
And then the Bible says when Jesus was arrested, everybody ran and fled. When Peter and all of them said, we'll never leave you. But had they been praying, they might not have left. They might have stood with Christ. But it was all for a divine purpose. The lamb had to stand alone. So Peter did not pray. He fell asleep. He acted in the flesh. And then, of course, we know he denied Jesus. And he denied him three times. But Strong Tower, consider this with me. Because Jesus did not leave him in a state of discouragement. Because after Jesus prayed for Peter and he prayed in the garden, he went and paid for our sins and Peter's sins in full on the cross. And Romans 4, he was raised for our justification. And then Jesus came specifically to restore his leader. He came specifically in John chapter 21 at the Sea of Tiberias because Jesus had told them, meet me in Galilee. So they went from Judea in the south and they went up north to Galilee to meet the Lord. He had made several appearances to them, but he told them, meet me in Galilee. So while they're there, they're like, we might as well go fishing. That's what we did when he called us. We've got to eat. But as you know, in the narrative, they couldn't catch anything because without Christ, you can't even do what you used to do. You can't even catch fish. You can't even do your job without Christ. And then Jesus shows up and he says, brothers, don't you have any fish? And they said, no. And he said, throw the net on the other side of the boat. They throw it on the other side of the boat and fish just start jumping in the net. John says, that's Jesus. So nostalgically, their mind goes back to those times where Jesus did give them miraculous catches. And so Peter, he's so spontaneous, Pastor Daryl. We called Daryl Peter in college because he was so, and he is still so spontaneous. And And Peter (laughs) put his clothes on jumped in the water and swam the 300 yards to get to Jesus on shore. The other guys had enough sense to row and bring the fish with them that they had caught. But my boy Pete, he's just all heart. He's either all the way in or all the way out. And he swims up, and Jesus had already prepared breakfast for them on the beach because he wants fellowship, table fellowship. Let's, let's enjoy physical food and soul food. Come on, sit down. So after he has breakfast with the guys, he still has something he needs to do in his resurrected state. He has to restore his leader, his leader who had failed publicly. Now Jesus must restore him publicly. The leader who had three denials must now have three affirmations. So consider this. Jesus gave Peter a good word. Because he knew Peter needed a good word. Because the enemy had been lying to him, saying that since you failed, you're a failure. The enemy had just been bombarding his mind. Oh, yeah, you thought you were going to fish for men, but now look at you. You can't even catch fish anymore. You're no good. You you, you can't do the things that the Lord called you to do. You messed up and you can't recover. But Jesus came personally to give him a good word because Jesus said, you must return to me. 
It's about you and me. You must return to me. And once you return to me, then you can feed the sheep and tend the lambs and strengthen the 12 or rather the 10 that you just led really away from me by saying, let's go fishing. You use your leadership gift in a way that was not profitable for the kingdom. You should have been saying, let's pray together. Let's look for Jesus together. But you said, no, let's go fish together. Peter, you need to be restored back to me because there's a leader in you. You're the rock. You're Cephas. You're the stone. Come on. So Jesus goes to restore him and he gives him a good word. And I'll say this to you quickly. I just want to tell you that love came down. Love came down. Pastor, what do you mean? When Jesus asked Peter those three times, do you love me? Two of those times, they spoke in Aramaic, but the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek language, as John wrote, who was an eyewitness, who was close enough to this conversation to hear it, Jesus used two different words. Peter used a different word. Let me explain it like this. When Jesus says, Simon, do you love me in verse 15 and then later again in verse 16, Jesus used the word agape, which is the highest form of love, total commitment, denial of self, a commitment of the will. It speaks of loyalty. It's the supreme love. And he said to Peter, do you love me with the supreme love? Do you love me without any conditions? Do you love me sacrificially? And Peter's response to Jesus in the Greek was, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He couldn't say agape. The best he could get out was I have phileo or tender affection or I'm fond of you. Because last time I said I had unconditional love for you, I die for you, I messed up. So now I've been humbled by my circumstances and I'm not going to boast anymore or speak out the side of my neck in the flesh. And so, Lord, I can't get up that high to say I agape you. So, Lord, I phileo you right now. And sometimes that's where some of us are. Don't let somebody come by with a legalistic twinge about them to say to you unless your love for Jesus is like this and that then you don't really love him sometimes the best we have is I've got tender affection I'm fond for Jesus because phileo can grow into agape love and so Jesus said do you agape me the second time Peter said Lord you know that I phileo you so Jesus knew where he was and, and so since he couldn't come up Jesus came down and Jesus changed his word. And he said on the third time, Simon, do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I phileo. I, I have tender affection and brotherly love for you. Love came down. We should not be surprised because God is love and God came down to save us from our sin. He's the God who come down. To reach you where you are. I think there's that old hymn that Andre Crouch wrote about the blood. It will never lose its power. It reaches to the lowest. What? If you are not on the mountaintop, don't try to tell God that you are. He already knows where you are. Tell him, I'm down in the valley. I'm struggling with me and you. I, Lord, I'm hurting. 
I failed you. And love will always come down and lift you up where you belong. He changes us with love. And so he gave him a good word. And Jesus says to him, you are still useful to me. I want you to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You see, your calling, Peter, was not canceled by your calamity. Just because you fail, that doesn't make you a failure. And just because you messed up, that doesn't mean that I still don't have ministry for you. It's just that now you're going to minister a little bit more humbly now. So feed my sheep and feed my lambs and tend my sheep. A threefold public restoration for a threefold public denial. Why did he do that? Because teachers are under stricter judgment, James 3.1. Leader, you fail publicly. I'm going to restore you publicly. Ah, but Jesus didn't leave it there. He then gave Jesus, uh, he then gave Peter a tough word. Strong tower, it's just not always about getting a good word. Oh, I need to hear that. I need to be reminded. I need to be built up. We all need that. But in any relationship, sometimes there's a tough word. And with God, sometimes he gives us a word we don't want to hear. And he gave Peter a tough word. Pastor, what was it? Verse 18. After the good word, here's the tough word. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. It's a tough word. The next verse tells us that Jesus was speaking about the death that Peter would die. What's going on in that verse? Well, when he was younger, he went wherever he wanted to go. But Jesus is saying, when you get older, you're going to be restrained. They're going to carry you somewhere, somewhere where you don't want to go naturally. And what is that? Jesus is giving Peter a prophetic word about how he's going to die. And he's saying prophetically that you're going to die by crucifixion. Someone else is going to dress you, stretch your arms out, carry you where you don't want to go. This was a prophecy of martyrdom. Now, I do believe that God can give a word of prophecy. I do believe that there are times the spirit can come on someone to speak a prophetic word. The Bible says when that happens, we should test the prophecies. And the way you test the prophecies from someone giving a prophetic word is with the written word of prophecy. The prophecy of scripture. Because you get a lot of false prophets today saying stuff in the name of God, but God didn't send them. So the best way to understand what someone has given you prophetically is to know the prophecy of scripture. Because if it doesn't line up with the prophecy of scripture, that's not a word from God. There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. So we're not against prophecy. We're first and foremost for the prophecy of scripture. So if, but if an old mother or an old father or a pastor or a brother, an aunt has a word of prophecy, listen to it, test it. But we don't run after that person's prophetic word. We're running after the prophecy of scripture first and foremost. 
And here's the thing, though, that kind of trips me up today because a lot of people come around with a prophetic word. I got a word for you. I got a word for you. I got a word for you. But rarely do you have, ever have anybody speak up and say, I got a prophetic word of death for you. Usually it's, I see you coming into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I, I see this, I see that, I, prosperity. And Jesus rolled up on my boy after giving him a good word. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You're going to die by crucifixion. That's a tough word. That's a tough assignment. Which is why he followed that word by telling Peter, follow me. Because I know that messed you up. But you got to follow me anyway. At some point, all of us will be given a tough word from God. Now, the same God who gave him this word about martyrdom is the same God who told Peter, you're going to sit with me and judge the 12 tribes of Israel sitting on 12 thrones. So this word of death is not the end. There's another word, and that is resurrection, life, and a new kingdom. And so no matter how bad it may get for us, the sufferings of this present age, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory, Romans 8.18, that will be revealed to us. But sometimes he gives some of us unique words, tough assignments. At some point it's going to happen to us. What if he tells you, here's the word for you, you will be rejected. Lord, I want to be liked, but this is your word. With what I've called you to do, you will be rejected. Matter of fact, you will be alone. You won't be honored. That's a tough word. You will be misunderstood. The word he has for me, you're going to be misunderstood. Another tough one may be for you, for your assignment. He may say, you're not going to get that job. In your mind, it's like, I should have this, but the Lord's like, that's not what I have for you. And sometimes he'll tell us no, but we don't want to accept it because it doesn't make sense to us. But if we listen to the spirit, the spirit speaks and we have an anointing who will teach us things that no man can teach us. And sometimes he'll give us a word, a tough word, where he'll say, no, you won't get hired. Matter of fact, you will get fired. I know a man who loves Jesus, who's locked up. He probably will not get out of jail. And he's recognizing that his assignment is to turn that jail upside down for Jesus. That's a tough assignment. It's a tough word that you won't get out and see your children again. What about if he tells you a tough word like you won't get healed? I know that's not popular. I know people misquote scripture. And, but sometimes he tells people, he whispers in their spirit, you're going to die with this. Today's Christianity doesn't have a place for that for some reason. Again, I could chase that and talk theologically about that. But I, don't, I won't do that right now. But some people, they're whispered in their spirit. The Lord will tell them, I'm taking you home. I believe he did that with my father. Because he changed our prayers from Lord, heal him to Lord, take him. 
So a tough word really is a good word when Jesus is the one given the word. Because sometimes he may tell you your loved one will not get healed. You won't keep the house. You're going to lose it. Matter of fact, he'll tell some single people. It's a tough word. You're not going to get married. And I believe some people are struggling in marriages today because they either jumped the gun and didn't wait on God or they ventured into an assignment that God did not give them. Why do you say that? First Corinthians seven says that some have the gift of being single. Some have the gift of being married. But sometimes single people who have a particular assignment say, I don't want this assignment anymore because it's too hard. And they leave that assignment and go into an assignment that God didn't ordain for them. Now, he has keeping grace. He'll step over and help you. But man, it's okay if you don't get married. He'll even tell some people who want to get divorced who are married. He'll say to them, you are not to get divorced. He'll tell you, it's a tough word, bear it out, walk it out. But we're calling the lawyer instead. Or he may give a tough word, again, don't throw a shoe at me. And he may tell some people, get out of that marriage. But the church will stone me. Do what I said, get out of that marriage. These situations are different. We cannot cookie cut and make one thing apply for everybody but sometimes he'll speak a tough word. He may even say to some of you, your adopted child will be problematic. Lord, I didn't know all of that when I adopted, that the kids were going to have separation anxiety, that this and that was going to happen, and they're looking at me like I'm the enemy. Lord, this is so hard. Well, that's the assignment that I gave you. And like we've learned, you can't get rid of your adopted children. You can disinherit your biological ones, but not your adopted children. Because maybe God, working through the law, understood that once you close the big adoption book with all the pictures and the people are at the airport waiting, you get your child from this country or from that place. God knows that's going to wear off in a little bit. And people don't talk about that side of adoption, how tough it can be. Tough doesn't mean bad. Tough just means it's tough. We must reject the notion of Christianity light. Because Christianity light, I'm telling you, is less feeling. It's a tough word. He may tell some of us, you are to leave your job and go to the mission field. Are you serious? I just started getting my thing together. And he may tell you to leave and go. Will you obey and follow your assignment? He may call you to preach his word. He may call you to go back to school. It may not make sense. A tough word may be he may tell you to stand down. You are not to take revenge for yourself. But God, you don't understand. What do you mean I don't understand? I want to know, stand down. For some of us, that's a tough word. Because again, like Peter, we'll cut your ear off if you look at us funny. Stand down. It's a tough word. Then he may even take it a little further. 
and say, I want you to forgive this person who hurt you. That parent that molested you, that uncle, who, that coworker, that, it's a tough word. You can't nurse that grudge, forgive. He gives us tough words. God has the right to give you a tough assignment without first asking for your permission or seeking your approval. And Peter knew it's going to come to pass because everything he's ever told me has come to pass. Uh, go and go throw your pole into the water, pull up a fish. It's going to have a coin in its mouth. Use it to go pay our taxes. It happened. Uh, tonight you're going to deny three times that you know me. It happened. And so when he says you're going to die this way, Peter knows, oh, it, it's going to happen. And Peter struggled with it. He hesitated with that assignment, as we'll see in a moment. Just like we can struggle. Even Jesus struggled with his assignment. But he submitted and came under the will of the Father and fulfilled his assignment. And the thing about what he gave to Peter was he at least told Peter what was going to happen. Most of us don't have that kind of revelation. Because, again, most people with the word prophecy, they're not coming like this. If they do come like at you like this, you're like, who sent you? Miles Monroe was not given a word of prophecy that his plane was going to go down on the way to a conference in the Bahamas and 11 people would die on the plane. But God had an assignment and when his assignment was up, so was his life. But he's thinking he's moving on. But God says, no, it's time to come to an end because with God, there's no such thing as accidents. There's only providence. Ah, I'm messing with some of y'all right now. But that was the will of God. And that man probably did not know that. God didn't probably whisper that in his spirit any more than the people who got killed in Oregon this past week. They didn't know that they would be martyred. But if we believe he knows the end from the beginning and he's written all of our days in a book, it was ordained by God. And I believe the Holy Spirit gave them strength in that hour. Like when Jesus said, when they bring you before the, the places to persecute you, don't worry about what to say. My father will give you the words. So when that gunman went around and he began to single out Christians, I believe the Holy Ghost came upon them with power to be witnesses. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. I am. I am not ashamed. Yes, I am. Even though they know what's going to happen. What a tragic end. There's a pastor still right now in prison in Iran. Pastor Saeed. He's been in prison for years. And we look at that and say, how hard that is. God, what are you doing? But that was the assignment that God gave him. Which means God gave him the grace to bear up in the midst of that assignment. You may not be able to accept it because that wasn't the assignment he gave for you. Now we're praying, Lord, set this man of God free, bring him back home. But he, like countless others whose names we will never know, this side of heaven, many of them have lost their heads for Jesus. So sometimes there's a tough word. But as the Eliots have said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a tough word sometimes. Oh, my. But then finally, 
That's why Jesus had to give Peter the only word. I'm giving you a good word. Man, I got a tough word for you. But here's the only word. Pastor, what's that only word? It's found in verse 19 at the end. Follow me. Tough word. But are you going to follow me or are you going to step out from following me? Now, usually when Jesus gives a tough word, that's when the crowd is divided and split. In John chapter 6, Jesus declared that he was the bread of life. And he was claiming to be equal with God. And even said to the Jews that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. The Bible says in John 6, 6, 6, that many of his disciples chose not to follow him anymore. Because it was a hard word. It was a word acknowledging that this young upstart from Bethlehem is claiming to be the Messiah, that he is the bread of life. And the crowd was split. They left. Tough word. Jesus said to the 12, will you leave too? It was Peter who said, Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. So in other words, we're following you. The first day you called me when I'm out there fishing with my brothers and I hear this voice that crescendos into my soul and he just says, follow me and I leave a lucrative business. There's no music playing. He didn't preach a sermon. He just walked by and said, follow me. And Jesus' spirit connected with their spirit and they left their nets straightway and followed Jesus. So now... Jesus is about to depart and he wants to remind them of what happened earlier because sometimes you got to, I'm back on Andre Crouch, take me back, take me back dear Lord to the place where I first received you when it was just a simple love. But now I got a little smarts and I've done a little bit. This is real complicated to follow Jesus now. So Jesus like at the end, uh, follow me. The same way I called you at the beginning three and a half years ago. Follow me. Man, the plan hasn't changed. Follow me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. It's the only word that I have for you. So Jesus is asking, will you follow me when the assignment doesn't make sense to you? Will you follow me when I allow you to suffer severely? Some of us got suffering in our assignment. Will we still follow? Will you follow me when I allow you to get hurt by other people? Will you follow me when things don't go as you've planned? Will you follow me if I choose to bless your friends differently than how I bless you? I'm getting in your business right now. I'll follow you. But wait a minute. Why is she? Why is he? I'm a little bit more committed than he and she. Pastor, where you get that from? From the text. Because when Jesus gave him this tough word, and then he gave him the only word, bro, man, follow me. And then Peter, turning around, Saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 20. 
who had leaned on his breast and all of that. And Peter, seeing him, verse 21, said to Jesus, uh, but Lord, what about this man? Now, Peter made three mistakes. Number one, he took his eyes off of Jesus. Oh, man, every time he did that, he paid the price. Like when he started walking on water to Jesus. Remember that? Now, other cats wanted to get out of the boat, but he got out the boat. He's going to walk in faith. Why? Because he's, you know, that kind of spontaneous kind of guy. You know, man, he wants to take life by the horns. He's a maverick. Jesus loves mavericks. But he's just got to tame them, though. Bro, man, walks out the boat, keeping his eyes on Jesus. Then when he started looking at the wind and the waves, he sank. We all sink when we take our eyes off Jesus. He's walking with Jesus. Jesus is giving him this word. It shakes him up. He turns around. What about him? He made a mistake. Another mistake that he made was that he put his eyes on man. Not only have I taken my eyes off Jesus, but I put my eyes on man. Because Jesus is like, if I choose to leave John alive till I come, what is that to you? I just told you that you're going to die, but I can make him live. I can bless his ministry. And yours can be the ministry that I've called, some 30, some 60, 100. I can give him 100-fold, give you twofold. What is that to you? This is your assignment. You follow me. Hits us all the time. Look at that car he's driving. Look at that house they're living in. Look at this. Look at what is that to you? Because if you look over there too long, rubbernecking, you're going to have a crash. Because if you look too long over there, you're going to become discontent with what I have for you. And you'll start murmuring about what you don't have rather than being thankful for what you do have, that you at least have a relationship with me and I've called you to do something. So mind your business. Strong Tower, mind your business. Be happy that he's blessing somebody else. And be thankful for what he's doing in your life. And then the other mistake that Peter made was that he said, uh, but Lord. The two words don't go together. But Lord. Lord means master, sovereign, God who's in complete control. You know everything. You have all power. But I do that too. Rather than saying, yes, Lord, I'm saying, but Lord, when he gives me my assignment. Again, sometimes he doesn't give me the end. He gives me the next step. And if I'm not careful, sometimes I'll say, but Lord, ain't no buts in here. It should be, yes, Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If he leads me into the valley, I'd rather be in the valley with him than on the mountaintop alone by myself in my own strength. Got up there by the craftiness of flesh and resources. I'll follow you through the valley because when I follow you through the valley, not only are you with me, you're the lily in the valley. Hard times, dying by crucifixion, you're with me. That's my assignment. So finally, when Jesus gives you a tough word, 
or a difficult assignment, what do you do? You be strong. You accept it. You follow him and you glorify God through it. I had a football coach who would make us run and run and run and do push-ups and he knew it was tough. And he would always say, it's hard, but it's fair. I never knew what that meant. But he would say, it's hard, but it's fair. And I feel like that fits right here. If you have a tough assignment, it's hard, but it's fair. Because you didn't have to have this assignment to begin with. But it's a way to glorify God through it. What do you mean? To glorify means to be put on display. And God is saying, I'm going to crush you through this tough assignment that I may be put on display. Because it's not about people seeing you, it's about people seeing me. And they're going to see me through you if you accept this assignment. If you follow me, you will glorify me in it. Now, many, many, many years later, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Peter eventually accepted his assignment. He got there. And he said, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, in John 21, he wasn't there. But in time, he replayed what Jesus said. And the word that caused him to stop looking at Jesus, the word that caused him to look at man and the word that was hard for him to hear eventually became the word that he accepted. Matter of fact, he embraced it. And he's telling that group of people in 2 Peter, his last letter, he's going to die sometime around 67 or 68 AD. He's basically saying, Jesus told me I'm going to put my tent off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Matter of fact, he put his own spin on that prophecy. Because when it came time for the state to put Peter to death, by crucifixion, as Jesus said. And by the way, this is why Peter wasn't tripping in Acts chapter 12. When Herod had killed James, and now they had arrested Peter, and the way they killed James was by cutting off his head. So Peter is asleep before the night of his execution because he knows this ain't my time yet. I'm not going to die by decapitation. I'm going to die by crucifixion. So he's sleeping during that time to the point where the angel had to wake him up. Get up. But he's come to the end and he's like, it's time. I'm older now. And he tells that church, I'm ready to take off this tent like Jesus said. But he puts a spin on it because you know Pete. You know Pete. <laughs> Don't crucify me. Right side up. Mm-mm. Crucify, same guy who said, Lord, don't wash my feet, wash my whole body. Him. He said, I'm a rock. Crucify me upside down. That's a brother that accepted the assignment and went out with his own personality that God gave him, his own gifting, his own. Mm, he accepted it. I pray that we'll accept the assignment that God has given us, even if it hurts us. Recognizing. That he's going to reward you. He, the last will be first. He's going to wipe the tears away from your eyes. It's going to be worth it. No wonder the songwriter said, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. I'll cling to the old rugged cross. To my trophies at last, 
I lay down. Will you accept your assignment? Will you take your cross? Will you stop complaining? Will you stop looking at other folks? Will you say, Lord, I accept this. I don't really like it, but Lord, teach me how to like it. One day, teach me how to love it because I'm not getting anywhere complaining about what you've given me. I accept my assignment. I'm going to be strong in the Lord. I accept it and I'm following you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen, amen. I accept it, I accept it, I accept it. I don't like it, but I accept it. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. There was a boy one day who had been told to till the ground as the, come on back. He was told to till the ground. And his father told him, to till this ground, I need straight lines. And when you till, you need to set your eyes on something in the horizon and walk towards it with the plow. Because when you do that, you will till straight lines. He said to his son, and when I come back, I expect this whole field to be tilled with straight lines. Set your eyes on something in the distance, walk towards it, till this land with straight lines. Father came back in four hours. He looked out on the field and it was full of figure eights and zigzags and tic-tac-toe and all kind of stuff. The father said, son, I thought I told you to tell straight lines. He said, dad, I tried. He said, I told you to set your eyes on something in the distance. And the boy said, dad, I did. And the father said, what did you look at? And the boy said, I looked at that cow right there. The only problem is that when the cow went right, my plow went right. When, when the cow went left, my plow went left. And the father said, oh, no, no, son. You should have set your eyes on something that will not move like that rock out there. Because if you focus on the rock that will not roll, the rock that will not move, the rock of our salvation, you press in after him, you follow him, there'll be some straightness in your life. Some of us are crooked today. Because we're looking at everything and everybody wondering why stuff isn't lining up and adding up in our lives. Now is the time for us to surrender. Surrender.